In today's episode of the Iman Wire podcast. If you're a selfish person, you think I build a nice house and have a nice family life just for myself. But he himself opened his heart to the poor people, to all Muslims, non-Muslims. Anyone could come and stay in his guest house and eat from his food. So, you know, uh, when you reach perfection, you just feel like a servant to all other human beings. Rather than serving yourself, you serve other people. Assalamualaikum, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the Iman Wire podcast, Istanbul edition. I'm your host, Matos Matia, with my beloved co-host, <laughs> Mustafa Davis. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Yeah, marhaba, Mustafa. Today, Mustafa and everyone listening, we have a very, very special guest, our dear brother, Suleiman Darin. Uh, for those of us who uh, don't know of uh, Suleiman Hoja, dear Professor Suleiman, uh, he did his undergrad at the Marmara University in Islamic Theology, and then he went on and did his uh, PhD from Leeds University, again, in Islamic theology with a specific uh, PhD in divine love uh, in Sufism. He's currently a lecturer uh, of theology at Marmara University. Uh, dear Professor Suleiman, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me here. Thanks. Uh, it's always a blessing to be with you. So, Professor Suleiman, I'm going to start with a question that we ask all of our guests. What amazes you about the city of Istanbul? Istanbul is an amazing place because it gives you full freedom. Whatever you are looking for in Istanbul. Myself, I am very fond of mosques, maybe, but some other people might be fond of beautiful scenery. We have Bosphorus, we have good restaurants, we have all kind of, uh, you know, sport activities uh, here. So this freedom uh, and beauty in Istanbul, in nature, in architecture, in uh, interconnections with friends is really unique. I've been to many places in the world Sometimes uh, the climate is not that very good. Sometimes there are things that you can't uh, get hold of. But Istanbul is, uh, in that respect, gives you whatever you like, so you have to uh, opt. Yeah, it's incredible. Mustafa, you probably agree. Like when we moved here, it's a east meets west, and right. that's true. Literally, true. 100%. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get on a ferry and leave Europe and come to Asia, Asia within 15 minutes. Yeah. And so it's it's whatever your heart is looking for, you'll find here. And, you know, what's really interesting about that, because one of the topics we want to discuss with you today, uh, for me, what I was so interested in uh, was the level of Ihsan, Sufism, that we saw embedded into the culture. Where did that come from? Actually, the Turks became uh, Muslims at the end of Sufis. Ahmed Yesevi was a wandering uh, sheikh. Because Turks are tribal people uh -huh. who are living in Central Asia. Okay. So Sufism uh, first served the Turks to convert into Islam. Therefore, almost every Turk in Turkey, even he doesn't know anything about Sufism, has a lot of Sufi values, mm. kind of Ihsan, for example, mercy, love, tolerance uh, to other uh, cultures. But especially in Turkey, in Istanbul, uh, so to speak, before they were banned in 1925, we had like 300 Sufi lodges, almost every uh, thousand, and they removed the children and the elderly people, almost every 300 uh, adults had a Sufi lodge. Mm. So people, uh, not necessarily becoming a Sufi, would go to Sufi lodges at evening times, enjoy the zikir, enjoy the tea and coffee and sohbet. So people, uh, like today we have cafes and pubs in the West, 
Like Sufi lodges became at that time. It was not just you could maybe tea, drink tea, even smoke in some Sufi lodges. So it was like not a not like a mosque, but there was a cultural significance to it. And over the, of course. Our music is all Sufi music. Mm. The Efendi, all these uh, great musicians in the past, like Mevlevi dervishes. So you hear music, it gives you spirituality. You go to archery club, it is a Sufi archery club, for example. You go to wrestling club, it is again a Sufi lodge. Mm. So Sufis uh, organize the music, organize the sports, the cultural events, also religious things. So people, uh, you have to be, have one kind of Sufi connection if you're a young or old or sport loving person. Therefore, uh, people uh, have uh, sucked this Sufi uh, ideals, Sufi principles in their lives. Well, what's interesting, you know, as I'm hearing you speak, you know, in some aspects of America, when you bring up Sufism to people, they just uh, correlate that with liberal ideals. Or music, maybe. Or dancing. music, or as you mentioned, you know, some group sitting there and smoking while doing yes. Hadra. But that's not the reality of what it was here in Turkey, in no. Istanbul, in, in Ottoman culture. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You see, uh, Islam was in the center of uh, Sufi training. What the Sufis want to uh, give you is... You feel that God is with you all the time, all this askar, sema, and everything. But of course, uh, in uh, you know education, uh, you have to follow different uh, methods to reach people's hearts. Mm -hmm. You can't uh, reach young people as you are uh, reaching old people, for mm -hmm. example. So for young people, they established sports centers, like archery was very famous, and again wrestling maybe. And for other people educated, for example, they have established uh, Sufi lodges where you could listen to good Islamic music, so to say. So, so, so was the end goal of this religion for them? For always, it was like uh, feeling Allah with you. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, the Quran says, He is with you wherever you are. But we don't feel this I presence, see. do we? No. So Sufis uh, try to make you be aware of God's presence with you all the time through zikir, through other uh, activities like mujahedah to nafs, but also using all kind of human uh, needs like mm -hmm. music, like sports, like socializing. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to socialize. Of course. Rather than going to a pub or cafe, you go to a Sufi lodge mm. and you listen to a, a good sheikh talking about nice things and drink your tea and coffee and socialize. Mm. So Sufism was at the center of life in Ottoman society. So there was an attempt to not compartmentalize God from a human being's life. Yes. A lot matters in everything that you do. Of course, if mm. we have to have music, we have to have Islamic music. Mm. I mean, not uh, bad words, not uh, some instruments which are against Islam. If you want to make sports, for example, in Ottoman culture, we don't have boxing. Because boxing, you kill people. Right. <laughs> you hit right. people in the face, which mm -hmm. is haram in Islam. But we, we had the best wrestlers. Because in wrestling, you can't damage anyone's uh, face or eye or nose. And it's a sunnah. Sunnah right. as well as uh, this kind of sports. In archery, for example, you have very strong uh, arms, but you never kill. You know, in archery, the first rule, don't kill any, uh, you know, uh, creature just for pleasure. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. So when you throw your uh, arrow, you say, yahak. Mm. You say, uh, also, when you hit the target, you read the verse, just to translate that before when he says, yeah. Whenever you uh, hit the target, it is God, not you. Mm. It's Allah behind you. He gave you this power. So Sufism combined the real life situation and conditions, not just for the mosque. Because uh, sometimes the problem with religions, 
not Islam. They only think uh, you can be religious in the church or in the synagogue on the, or in the Buddhist temple. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sufis tell us you can be religious when you make sports, when you run, when you uh, you know do some kind of sports activities, or when you sing. Because some people, <clears throat> they love singing, you see. Right. Uh, in Islam, you know, there is some discussion about singing and it's not uh, very good to involve in too much in music. Sure. But in a limited level, if the music is good, so when you listen to it, you have good feelings. Mm-hmm. So today, today, if you look at the Western music or even the Turkish, unfortunately, music, there are a lot of very uh, negative emotions, uh, sometimes very bad uh, messages right. hidden in the music. So uh, A lot of anger. You anger know. sometimes, mm-hmm. taking right. revenge, you know. Right. Or a lot of uh, actually a uh, kind of uh, uh, objection to the, to the Qadr, right. mm-hmm. to divine will, whatever right. happens to you, you know, uh, this is not my Qadr, I don't like this kind right. of music. So Sufism uh, actually uh, put its influence in all walks of life. Right. Which is which is so amazing to me, and even you know one thing that always surprised me too when I looked at the history of uh, of the Ottomans and the uh, the kings that you had, the Salatin, I saw that many of them had Sufi sheikhs. Yes, when I said uh, Sufism entered all walks of life, that included all the kings. Right. Or first uh, Amir uh, Osman Ghazi, actually he married to his sheikh's daughter, <laughs> and uh, he was Sheikh Edebali. And he actually, we say Ottoman uh, state is a Sufi state. There's a German historian, uh, Paul Wittig. He says the Ottomans are the Sufi state because our army had a tariqa, Bektashiye. There were, there were mashayikh in the army. They had the spiritual ranks as well. Mm. Sorry, uh, army ranks, mm. like general kind of. So the army was always uh, practicing tasawuf. The scholars, most of them were uh, Sufis as well. They have written uh, tafasir. Uh, in Sufi uh, understanding, for example. And uh, actually, Suf- Ottomans had a very good balance of ilm, knowledge, as well as spirituality. Mm. So today, we lost this balance sometimes. Right. So if they had a madrasa in uh, one street. The next uh, street was a Sufi lodge. You know, this is the Ghazalian concept of co- combining ilm and amal. Mm. Yes. That had to exist. Ottomans achieved this for a very long time. Uh, because uh, all these uh, kings had spiritual guidance from Mashaikh. Maybe we will talk about Hudayi. He was a guide to four to five kings. And I will give some interesting stories for you, how these spiritual guides were so powerful on the kings. So, you know, in some countries we see the combination of uh, religious authority and uh, government authority, but just used to sort of, you know, oppress people. Or yes. to ensure that a very particular uh, political thought and ideology was being spread amongst people. But the Sufi mashayikh with the rulers, in the case of Sayyidina Aziz Mahmoud Huda'i, was very different, wasn't it? Yes. Because uh, Sufism uh, gives priority to heart. Hmm. Uh, they are after the heart. And heart is so delicate, uh, you should be very nice and kind. Uh, there is no uh, this kind of authoritative uh, approach in, among Sufis. I have written an article on uh, Benedictine monk, monks. I was really much amazed because there is the book Rule by Saint Benedict. Mm-hmm. And the book is, has, if I am not wrong, 64 principles and half of them are about punishment. Interesting. You punish the monk if he's late for the food, okay. if he sleeps too much, if he, you find money in his pocket. Interesting. And uh, I talked to a few of my, I have some monkish friends here, uh-huh. monks actually, right. the Italian monks. I asked them, how come do you have this punishment in your uh, 
rule, right. whereas you claim love and God is love and everything. And the guy was uh, could answer this because if you have people in a, such a big number, you have to have some rules. Right. Whereas in Sufi lodges, we had love and tolerance more than uh, any place. I will give you one example. One day, Rumi was doing Sama and drunkard entered to Sama. Mm. He started repeating and doing, imitating the people. Right. And some of the murids was very angry with the guy. You know, a drunk man, what's he doing? They want to push him out. Mm. And Rumi said, leave him, let him alone. Mm. He drank alcohol, he became drunk. But you have become drunken without alcohol. Mm. How come you can push a Muslim? <laughs> right. Then afterwards, of course, these big people become uh, murids. One more example that's even more interesting. One day, uh, Ismail, uh, sorry, Ibrahim Akarzurumi is a very great Sufi known in Turkey very well. One day he, he catched a thief trying to steal his cow. In a village, of course, but you steal right. cows and right. <laughs> other uh, livestock. And he said, oh my son, what are you doing? The villagers will catch you. They will beat you up. Right. So let me help you. <laughs> Since you need this cow, he took the cow until the out out of the village and said, "Take this. Since you need this cow, it is halal to you." You know, and some people would have difficulties believing the stories. Yeah, they, it's too fantastical. It's too for fantastical. Them. But in reality, someone who takes it happens. The, yeah, it happens. If you take a path of purification of the heart. I know a sheikh that uh, I have the witnesses even now. They they all again caught a thief in the garden. Right. The sheikh had a lot of, of course, murids, the thief, the poor thief doesn't know that, right. enters the garden and they caught the thief. Of course, there's a lot of noise. The sheikh was awakened. What's going on? They said, we caught the thief. He invited the thief at home. First gave him food. He said, but why did you do it? He said, I am very poor. My children have no food. He gave him a lot of money mm-hmm. to the thief. He said, middle of night, this guy is living very far away. So take, take him back to his home. Also find him a job. And the Shaykh tell, told me, now this man, the thief became a big Sufi, but he, he doesn't give the name. Yeah, and he said, also, you must come to our softbats every week, so and so place. Right. The thief became like a saint now. Amazing. This happens. Right. So this shows the Sufis have a different way of approaching people. Yeah, Rather it, than taking the thief to the court and want the punishment, they ask, what's the problem behind this thief? And it's so interesting because I, you know, this is just making me think of Imam al-Ghazali. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa taala elevate his rank. And in his in his munqid min al-Balal, the you know, uh, he says that he tried all paths: the path of philosophy, the path of this, the path of that. He said there is no path that is greater in terms of your connection and your arriving to Allah than the path of the Sufis. And he actually says in there that if you gathered all of those that are scholars of kalam, of theology, of this, of that, and they try to add something to the way of the Sufis to make it better, they couldn't even do so. Because it is all uh, depending on practice and love because Sufis uh, uh, use the method of heart, not the method of the uh, logic or reason. Right. Because reason is selfish. Right, yes. Always thinks of his own interest. Whereas the heart loves and thinks the interest of other people. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, uh, today we need heart more than the brain. And Ghazali thinks heart should be the, uh, you know, the ruler in this body because uh, logic and brain uh, is just a tool. Right. Either Neft or Shaitan use it or the heart use it. So he says, if the heart is the ruler, then we will have very good interactions with others. We will love them. We will help them. 
how do we define this definition or this this notion of it uh, being the heart, the heart itself? Because we have in the West where people will say, I don't have to follow the commandments of God. I don't have to follow any religious edicts because I have Allah in my heart. Is this what the Sufis meant? No. Uh, I just written an article about it. Mm. In Islam, both heart and reason is controlled by wahi, revelation. If you just, uh, okay, heart is maybe a little bit better than the uh, reason, because as, as I said, reasoning only thinks of, of his own interest. Heart is maybe more spiritual, uh, more open to other people's interests. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, if you just follow the heart, then you can be a new age religion, mm -hmm. doing a lot of uh, funny things under the name of spirituality. Some people in the West, I know this, they say, I am not religious, but I am very spiritual. Yes. In Islam, you can't have this. They'll even say, I'm not religious, I'm Sufi. Yes, yeah, and we have that. It's not possible that, according yeah. to the Sunnah Sufis. So you have to train your heart, train your emotions, and also your reason uh, under the guidance of Wahi or the Prophet So, so you can't be a Sufi without becoming a Muslim or Taslim is like a submission to God and the commandments. So let, let's take a Sufi and, and let's analyze them. You know, when, when Mustafa and I moved here uh, to Istanbul, specifically to Uskadar, we moved into a reason, region that's called Aziz Mahmoud Hudai. I'm like, who is this Aziz Mahmoud Hudai, rahmahullah ta'ala? And then I found he was an ocean of a man. Can you yes. tell me about him? Aziz Mahmoud Hudai started his profession uh, as a faqih, as a judge in Bursa. So his training is, comes from madrasa. Hmm. But of course, he always felt that there is a lack in his heart for more spirituality, more perfection. When he was the judge in the court, one day he came across a kind of miracle that a Muslim went to Hajj in a week. In that time, it was taking like six months. So uh, there was a kind of miracle or karama, uh, and a Sufi helped this poor guy. He always loved to go Hajj, he couldn't collect the money. And uh, the, came, the issue came to the court because the wife said, my husband is a liar. He claims to go to Hajj in a week. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How this happens, kind of he heard it. And when he uh, summoned these guys to the court, uh, one of the Sufis told him, you believe that shaitan can go to any place in a second? Another believer, that struck him. Then he said, there is some more knowledge, like Sayyidina Musa salam, learned from Khadr. Then he chased it and he found Uftada. Of course, when you have knowledge and power and authority, in, at that time in Bursa, he was a judge. He was the first person as the governor or behind the governor, second person. A lot of servants and all kind of material wealth. So he came to uh, Sufi Lodge with all kind of pride and uh, this kind of uh, maybe a little bit kibir sometimes. And the first thing he learned from his master, leave your ego, leave your job. Leave your wealth just to become a perfect person. Which is so hard for so many of us to do. Yes. Uh, and he gave up his job. And he even started selling uh, livers in the marketplace. Mm. And of course, people thought, thought he's a mad. Of course, this is all to give up his ego, to give up his kibber, you see. But of course, in a very short time, he reached a very uh, interesting perfection. And he himself became a master. I'm going to just stop you for one second because you're bringing up something so interesting about this kibbutz, this concept of arrogance. Yes. Can you just remind our listeners uh, for a moment what the Messenger of God said about arrogance and paradise? Arrogance will, uh, the arrogant people will never enter. It will not smell the fragrance of paradise. Hmm. So it is because it's such a big crime, uh, you are 
kind of claiming, kind of what uh, uh, divinehood. Mm. You are saying I am God, like Pharaoh said, because uh, when, especially when you become successful in business, in politics, you become rich. The, the first thing which comes to your mind is like, I am kind of, you know, not, I am not a human being. I am very superhuman being, kind of. Then the last thing is, uh, I am a kind of God, like the Pharaoh said, Nimrud said. So Sufis always try to break this. And it's not like just words or reading books. What they do, and we have seen this Ibn Ajibe, uh, his sheikh told him to sell water in the streets in Morocco, which is not even ordinary job for a faqih and a mufti. Right, Ibn Ajibe being the great Moroccan scholar who came from a very wealthy family. And imagine, uh, sometimes Sufis use some uh, interesting uh, methods. His sheikh told him to uh, ask money to back. Yeah. Uh, in the mosques. He and said, didn't he have to do it in his own neighborhood he, as well? In Tatuan. Yes, he said, okay, I will do it in a faraway mosque. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, you will do it in the main mosque in your uh, district. With everyone you grew up around, said, everyone who knows you. Yeah. I prefer to die at that moment. <laughs> and I, you know, I visited that masjid and I, okay. just said, I just said, amazing, you know, just how he did it. You know, but for them, uh, Professor Suleiman, I mean, the reality of the Akhirah was real, realer than this dunya. Yes. So the fear of coming with any shade of arrogance. Yes, you can talk about the Pharaoh and Nimrod, which is, yes. or what we see in some of the per political realms right now, a very high level of crazy arrogance. <laughs> yes. I'm not pointing to any political reader, yes. leader, but you know who I'm speaking of. <laughs> but then there are smaller shades of that. Yes. Or maybe I just feel that I'm smarter than you, yes. I'm better than you, or I won't get you a cup of water. Why yes. would I even do that? Why would I serve you? Yes. So they needed to eradicate that from their All hearts. All kind of uh, negative emotions, yeah. they eradicate it. Therefore, that's the spiritual training, actually. It's not something you can read and learn. You should practice it. And it's not something that comes easy. No. It's not very difficult. All. It's very easy, very difficult. Some people reached perfection in 40 days. Mm -hmm. Some people took it for 40 years. Mm -hmm. it all we're, we're, on, we're on the 100 year track. <laughs> <laughs> we're just asking God for his mercy and, yes. and doing the yes. best we can. So with this in mind, this great scholar yes. decides to start selling livers in the marketplace. Just to break his ego. Because ego says you are the greatest man on earth. Everyone should serve you. You are special. Actually, we all hear this in this age, isn't it? I mean, every now even the youngsters feel they are special. Uh, they deserve all kind of the good in this life, but they don't deserve, deserve anything bad. Mm -hmm. So even today, little children have this kind of feeling. So in the Sufi Lodge, they teach you, you are a slave of God. You are here to help others, to serve others, not to serve your own nafs. So when you leave the Sufi Lodge, you become a perfect man. What did Huday do, for example, after he reached perfection? He built the Tekiya in Uskudar, which is very close by. You you go there, you will see uh, utensils in the kitchen, very big. What's a Tekiya for, uh, for our listeners who don't know? Sufi Lodge is a place where the Sufis come together, make zikr, remember God. They you know sing hymnies to God and they socialize. But the first thing he has done, like he was cooking like a thousand people every day. And today, even we have this, like we cook for thousands of people. So he opened his heart to other people. If you're a selfish person, you think I build a nice house and have a nice family life just for myself. Right. But he himself opened his heart to the poor people, to all Muslims, non-Muslims. Anyone could come and stay in his guest house and eat from his food. So, you know, uh, when you reach perfection, you just feel like a servant to all other human beings. Now, rather than serving yourself, 
you serve other people and uh, you know you give training to uh, all kind of bad habits because the society has people have some bad habits isn't it so he was training them you know not only uh, ordinary people he was training the kings as well so tell was, us about that relationship actually uh, because sufis have some kind of uh, special sometimes powers as well because deep uh, understanding let's say frase one day the king uh, sultan ahmed the first in his dream he saw a dream very bad dream we had pro- trouble with ushering king at that time the king of austria uh, has beaten him in wrestling in his dream he asked for interpretation but he didn't like any of the interpretations because they all said never go to fight with, the with Austrians because they will beat you. It's very open. But uh, the case came to Hudayi. He gave a very good commentary on it. He said the most powerful of men is his back. And the most powerful uh, part of the world is the earth. So your back uh, combined with the uh, earth means you will be very powerful and strong. So go and uh, retake these castles you lost to Austrians. So Sultan Ahmed I uh, went to on a battle and recaptured the uh, castles we, we lost. And of course, at that time, the Ottomans had a uh, tradition. If any army general lost the battle because of his own mistakes, he would be executed in the battlefield. He would not... He didn't bother to come back all the way. <laughs> the stakes are high. <laughs> really so high. imagine uh, yeah. you interpret this dream yeah. and if the consequences would be very dire yeah. if they lost the battle. And then he became the disciple of, of course, uh, always Hudayi uh, told him to be mercy, to build uh, hospitals, to build uh, schools, and even Bulu Mosque, uh, which is very famous today. Of course, yeah. Maybe Hudayi had some kind of uh, influence on, on that because when he won the battle, then he built this mosque as a thanksgiving. The Blue Mosque that uh, Professor Suleiman Darian is talking about is in Sultan Ahmed. So that king, the most powerful uh, emperor at that time, was a disciple. Even look at his uh, manners with his master. One day he came to Uskudar uh, on his horse. And then uh, he saw his master, Hudai. He said, please, my master, you ride the horse. I will walk behind you. For a few minutes, uh, he followed the master. Then Hudai went off. He said, please take your horse. I just uh, ride the horse because my master prayed for me. One day the kings walked behind you. Uh. Just to realize this, uh, you know, prophecy. So I so there was such a close relationship with the kings. Therefore, the kings were very spiritual. If they wanted to do something bad, for, for example, if a general or a vizier had trouble with the king, they would escape and hide in the Hudayis uh, Tekiyah. <laughs> just to ask his help. Maybe they have done something very bad. They will get some pre- imprisonment or some other punishment. So Hudayi will go and uh, talk to the king and please forgive him kind of things. He was like a messenger between people and the king as well. If people had some complaint about poverty, about something, he would go and complain to the king and ask uh, as a mediator, you know. Right. Which is so interesting because, again, in, in the modern time that we live, most of you've probably seen this, you know, in a lot of the conversations that's being had in America and the West, especially amongst Muslim organizations, that they just see any uh, religious individual close to power as a puppet. Yeah. Yes. That's the automatic assumption. Oh, yeah. he, he's just a pawn of the king. You dismiss completely if you, if you have any t- interaction but with. But Sufis are, are special because they have zuhd. They never accept government positions. Right. 
that will be true for scholars because scholars, as a scholar, for example, I will uh, ask the king to make me rector right. to a university. But Sufis, they never took any uh, government posts. Therefore, they were powerful. So they had a, they had a very specific role of attempting to ensure that the hearts of the their hearts first and foremost before anyone's hearts and the hearts of the people in power were always aligned towards Allah oriented towards Allah. Yes, they became good examples to them. Firstly, because they never accepted uh, money from the kings, uh, or if they accepted, they spent it for the poor people. Because uh, you are not selfish in your relationship to other people, you become powerful. Therefore, they had this spiritual soft power over the kings as well as over the public. Because now Hudai's tomb, like 10,000 people visit every day. So he's a very uh, central place. Even today, uh, the his waqf is living. Still going, yeah. And I will just give one example. One, uh, at Iftari time, two drunk people came to the waqf to share the food. Because they said we are hungry. Yes, we drink alcohol in Ramadan time, but <laughs> at the end of the day, they're homies. We're also hungry. Right. <laughs> and people had the discussion. Shall we accept them? Because they have smell on their uh, clothing and everything. They said, okay, let them eat. And I have seen one of these guys, he repented. After eating the food, he said, what a big mistake we do. We drink alcohol in Ramadan and we come and eat from the food of Muslims. He repented the next day. And I have seen this uh, old man he was carrying uh, food to, he, then he, later he moved underground the mosque. He lived there. He was fasting all time. When we want, went for the food, he was taking his own food to his uh, lodge because we learned he was fasting so he could eat later. Look at the mercy of the Sufis. Look at the mercy of Hudayi. Even today, we are sharing his food all the time. A lot of kurbanis are uh, slaughtered there and the meat was given to the poor people. So the Sufis uh, had such a kind of uh, mercy in their heart, so open to like 400 years, still this mercy is continuing. Yes, so tell me about this waqf. I mean, what, what did Sayyidina Aziz Hudai uh, established during his time and what's going on with what he established? When uh, he bought a land in Uskudar area, he built a mosque, a Sufi lodge, also a soup kitchen. You know, in Ottoman times, uh, Sufi lodges and mosques were like a big complex. And uh, for many years, this continued in Ottoman times, like for centuries, but in the Republican period, like 50 years, they were banned, all uh, kind of uh, foundations were confiscated. But uh, another Sufi group, belonged to Nakshi uh, tradition, they revived his uh, Tekiya, although he belonged to Jalvatiya. It also shows us all Sufi brotherhoods are in reality brothers. United. They are following the same path. Maybe different methods, but the target is the same. Now today, uh, they are serving a lot of food and a lot of service actually to do humanistic, uh, uh, you know, help to poor Islamic countries, uh, educational services, giving food and uh, even medical care. So they are doing a very big job today. So this is the back of Hudai's uh, big heart for everyone. So, you know, what's so interesting about this, I'm just, you know, you have so many thoughts running through my mind is, again, you know, one thing I've, I've seen here uh, in Turkey is I've definitely seen that there's that spiritual culture and I've never seen the Wahhabi movement penetrate here. What do you think is causing that protection? I think Sufi culture is so powerful. Uh, so people find it uh, not really interesting and attractive because mostly uh, illiterate people, Jahil Muslims, like this kind of extreme ideas. Right. You know, let's go and fight and you know, invade the world kind of things. Right. For a Sufi, these are very naive. 
because you should first invade the hearts of people, not their lands. Right. You shouldn't kill people. You should <laughs> right. revive their souls, you see. Right. Yeah. So Islam is to revive the people, isn't it? Because Allah says in the Holy Quran, if you kill one person, uh, innocent person, right. as if you kill the whole world. Right. If you save one life, as if you save the whole world. So Sufi is always after saving hearts, reviving the hearts, saving people's lives. Therefore, this philosophy was so strong. Right. This kind of extremist uh, you know, feelings didn't attract followers, very few uh, at least, because Sufism is so powerful. Even in our language, you feel the ihsan. When you see something beautiful, you say, MashaAllah. When you say, when you want to say goodbye, you say, Allah'a ismarladık. When you, uh, you know, have uh, something bad, you say, Allah, Allah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the, the zikr, remembrance of Allah, in all aspects of your life. Actually, Professor Iman, Allah, Allah can be used for so many different things I found out recently, depending yes. on how you say it. <laughs> I will give one interesting joke about it. I was listening to a British documentary when I was in Britain. In Dardanelles Wars, in the First World War, the Turkish soldiers were saying, Allah, 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 when they fight. The British thought, these soldiers are cursing at us. Uh, something bad. So we should say Allah Allah back to them. <laughs> the, the Muslim was saying, oh my Lord, I am fighting but in your path, please help me. Right. If I die, please accept me as a martyr. Right. But their own subconscious thought, the British uh, soldiers, in a battle you only insult the enemy. So the both British soldiers and the Ottoman ones were saying Allah Allah when they were fighting. Amazing. <laughs> Muslims Amazing. are of course remembering that. The British was thinking that they are cursing the Ottoman soldiers. Yeah, it's an amazing paradigm. I mean, when your heart is open like that and uh, these, these spiritual lights from God and his messenger enter, you know, you see the world differently. So instead of seeing someone as a disbeliever or non-believer, you see them as a potential believer. Yes. You know, it changes yes. your outlook. And so... Professor Iman, one of the things I want to talk about is we're you know nearing our sort of time limit with you because we, uh, we know how busy you are. Um, you know, many people have a concept of Sufism that oh, they just want to see dreams, they just want to sit in circles and say Allah, Allah. But in reality, the path of Sufism is supposed to help an individual rid their hearts of all uh, traits that Allah and His Messenger are not happy with. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sufism is actually, uh, in Islam, we have these uh, three divisions of Islam, Iman, and uh, Ihsan. The Prophet Sallallahu what the Jibril asked him about Islam, uh, Iman, and Ihsan, he summarized Islam is like uh, submission to God. Iman is to believe in certain things. But Ihsan is the most difficult thing to practice a, a lifestyle that as if you see God all the time. So you should, you can't be aggressive to your friends. You can't be, you know, uh, miserly. Should be generous. You can't do bad things to other people. So Sufism is uh, in the heart of thing. Uh, we have Ihsan, and they give this training to you through zikr, through sema. Sometimes listening to uh, Islamic music, so all kind of different activities. But sometimes people forget the target. They just, they just look at the vehicles. Yes. So when you see a Sufi uh, making zikr, they think this is the end of it. It is not end of it. Making zikr, remembering God should take you to good uh, activities, amal salih. Uh, or listening to some Sufi music, if it is only about music, then you are not uh, understanding Sufism properly. Because people in the West today, they like Sufism because they think it's all about music and dancing. Right. It's all about uh, some kind of chanting the names of God in a very artistic way, so they enjoy the right. uh, watching it. This is a misunderstanding of Sufism. 
So if you don't uh, reach the level of ihsan, music and dancing and doing other kind of activities has no meaning. They are just good maybe in the little sense, but in a big picture, they are not serving the real target. Uh, Professor Suleiman, now, now that being said, I mean, uh, you see now the direction of the Turkish culture. I mean, uh, do you think that uh, because what I've seen in general is that you haven't strayed far from these principles? You know, what do you think is going to be the future of Ihsan and Tasawwuf here in the country? I think Sufism is giving a lot of alternatives to uh, humanly needs because today, Uh, we lost uh, uh, Sufi music, now we have Western music. Mm-hmm. We lost the Sufi uh, socializing in a very positive way. Right. Then people uh, started doing uh, like internet, uh, social media right. uh, friendships. Sufism gives you such a uh, satisfaction in your heart. You don't need some minor things in your life like Facebook addiction, like right. hmm. social media addiction because you have such a powerful uh, attraction to spirituality, to friendship and soap programs. So Sufism was giving a lot of alternatives to human needs. Today, unfortunately, we are following the Western world uh, in our uh, entertainment, in our weddings, in our uh, all kind of things. And we have very bad examples coming to us from West. Islam is, of course, preventing this for Muslims. Sufism is giving uh, interesting alternatives uh, for us. But I think uh, we are losing. Uh, of course, there are a lot of good movements as well. Reviving the Sufi culture, reviving the Sufi ideals. But by and large, I think uh, the whole world is going to uh, some negative uh, direction because we have Nefsi Ammare and this civilization is giving us the best of what Nefsi Ammare uh, desire. So Nefsi Ammare here, can you translate that for everyone? Nefsi Ammare, the evil commanding Nefs, we have a Nefis, an ego inside, which only asks for pleasure, entertainment, play, you know, uh, asking for Uh, uh, luxurious things, uh-huh. spending and becoming uh, addict to internet and social media. Right. This kind of inter- entertainment uh, civilization coming to us. And this entertainment uh, is uh, killing the spirit sometimes, you know, because extreme entertainment. Yeah, how you want, when you want, at the time you want. All, all the time you want. All the time you want, you know, the, the, at your fingertips. Yes. Push a button and it's yours, you In know. In all the times it was difficult to reach bad things. Right, yes. But it's so easy. You just have a mobile in your pocket, an internet connection, that's it. You can reach gambling, you can reach bad films. Everything. Within yeah, the moment. No, so, so, what are some things that we can do on an individual level besides, uh, despite leaving some of these things? What are some things we can do on an individual to help revive the spirit of Sufism? I think uh, reading the books of Sufis is uh, and studying it uh, in schools, in gatherings, help you. For example, reading the books of Ghazali really gives you a lot of interesting ideas, even for today's people. When you read, read for example, Rumi, there's so much full of interesting ideas. So we have a lot of treasure in the Sufi culture, in the Sufi books. We just uh, need to open our eyes to this kind of uh, spiritual inclinations. Also, uh, you know, we can join a lot of interesting uh, associations in Istanbul, a lot of Sufi associations. They do a study of uh, Sufi circles and Sufi books. Even uh, some zikr would be very good, you know, because uh, we need, we all need to remember God. Uh, Allah says in the Holy Quran many times, Izkuruni, you mention my name, you remember me, I remember you. So Sufis give you a lot of interesting methods and techniques uh, to do that, to achieve that. So 
it's only thing we should uh, open our eyes to this kind of activities. Ibn Ajiba says one thing, there are always evolution in every society. Mm-hmm. But because people's uh, turning their face to different directions, right. today, for example, our face is turning to football, right. watching football or uh, listening to singers, right. popular ones. So then people think there are no evolution, no good people in the world. There are. Just because our attention is taken to another direction, we just don't realize their presence. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were reading from Imam al-Ghazali as we were discussing earlier. I mean, they have very, Imam al-Ghazali has very practical approaches as to how to realize if my heart needs some major help. And for example, he gives a test. If you want a test to see if you have arrogance in you, he says, try three things. He says, number one, if you're ever wrong about something and someone corrects you, how you respond to that. Uh, do you get angry with this guy? Yeah, do you get angry <laughs> or do you thank them and say, you know what, you're right. He goes, if you get angry, you mm. have arrogance in you. He goes, here's yes. another example. He says, number two, try training yourself to praise people around you. Whenever you're in gatherings with them, praise them, say nice things about them. If you find that it's difficult for you to do that, you have a level, oh, very you have a level of arrogance. <laughs> and number three, which is another really practical thing. He says, go with your family one day to the market. Go with your family and friends, go shopping. And he says, after they buy everything that they bought, take all of their bags and you carry it home for them. And you be like, you know, the servant with them. He goes, if you find it difficult for you to do that, you have arrogance in you. What if you fell on all three counts? Well, then there's good news. (laughs) There's good news is that we found that all out before we return to God. Yes. And that there's time for us to rectify ourselves because the fact that the messenger of God, told us that no one will enter paradise if they had Adam's weight of arrogance in their soul, soul, Mm. that scares me. I have so much work I need to do. Yes. And that's what the path of the Sufis are is to bring us closer to God. Especially, for example, we have a lot of anger today. Right. And Sufis were also teaching how to be patient with people. If you go to any Sufi lodge, they will give you a lot of hard jobs, uh, yeah. not very you know, uh, nice things like clean the toilets. <laughs> you know, when I was uh, with uh, Sheikh Mukhtar Maghrawi's yes. community, I was young, 16 years old. I'll never forget. He said, okay, go clean the bathrooms. Yes. This is on Juma. Hmm. I said, I didn't use the bathroom. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> First thing you said. he said, I didn't ask you if you used the bathroom. <laughs> go clean the bathroom. Yes. I said, oh, I was so angry. Yeah, so you learned tolerating other people, yeah. serving uh, you know other people. And that gives you a lot of patience, actually. Right. And also uh, modesty. Because you are cleaning toilets. Then you have uh, no... It's hard, to be, it's hard to be arrogant <laughs> yes. in that moment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Professor Suleiman, thank you so much for being with us today. We we benefited uh, so much uh, from the conversation that we had with you. I thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, Mustafa, it's always a pleasure uh, co-hosting the Iman Wire Istanbul podcast with you. Uh, For our dear listeners, uh, please uh, like us on, uh, I don't know what we have, iTunes or SoundCloud or just follow us. Somewhere out there in cyberspace. Somewhere out there in cyberspace. (laughs) Give us some love. (laughs) And uh, inshallah, you'll find out uh, more about uh, Professor Suleiman Darin through our Iman Wire website as he'll be writing some articles for us in the future. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.